How many would like it if Mariah just preached this morning? <laughs> I think I would. That's awesome. Wow, that was a great word. Mariah, how many, how many feel like they can take a nugget out of what she just said and kind of make it their own? Um, it actually parallels very closely with some things that I want to share with you this morning. Um, as I get ready to go to the Word, I, I just want to say, first of all, how honored uh, I am to be here. My wife, Michael, sends her love and greetings and unfortunately can't be with us today. I've got two other sons. One is 17 and one is 15. And uh, they're playing lacrosse this weekend. And by the way, uh, they are they are getting ready to play a championship game. They've been in a tournament all weekend, and they're getting ready to play the championship game. So can we take a minute and pray for Noah and for Judah that they absolutely slaughter the other team right now? Can we do that? Can we pray those kind of prayers in church? Is that okay? All right, let, let, let's pray for Noah and for Judah right now. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help my sons kill the enemy this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You have to forgive me uh, for my carnality this morning. Um, now, how many love their kids? If you're parents here, you love your kids, and I, I know I do. And I'm so honored uh, to have my my daughter with me. Um, I honor her and respect her, and I just appreciate what God's doing in my life. As I mentioned, my wife and I, um, uh, she sends her greetings and her love. She can't be here, but we, we love your pastors, uh, Ben and Rebecca, both my wife and I do. And um, it's just such an honor to be here, um, Ben, just standing in the stead of where you are every week. And I just want to honor you for the last seven years of, of pioneering and carving out. As I stood here this morning, um, I felt the presence of God in worship. And um, I, it took me back to 1997 when my wife and I started a church and we met in a, in a Grange facility in western Washington uh, about an hour and a half north of Portland, and it actually felt a lot like this room. And uh, we went step by step by step over 16 years and and uh, pioneered what is um, still there and is a great church. And so I love church planting. I love church building. I love uh, seasons of adjustment and change in church and what it means to have to move from one facility to another, sometimes unexpectedly. I've been down that road. I, I know what it takes. I know what it means to believe God for breakthrough as a church. I know what it means to carve out new ministry and to find your identity and to establish a rhythm of, of, of ministry and to raise up leaders. And um, some Sundays when, man, things go really well and other Sundays when you wonder, man, what are we doing? I, I understand all of those things. And, and this is what I believe we all have in common, whether it's in church building whether it's in the journey of natural life, as Mariah talked about, as an 18-year-old young lady who is dealing with relationships coming in and out of her life, or whether it's the loss of a loved one that our brother mentioned up here today, no matter what it is, you and I are all on a journey. We're all on a journey. And uh, I, I've discovered over the last four and a half years that the journey doesn't stop when you reach a certain size as a church. It doesn't stop just because you reach a certain age or you're married a certain number of years or you finally attain a certain level of spiritual maturity. The fact is we're still on a journey. And the reason why I mentioned last four and a half years is, is just a little bit over four and a half years ago, the Lord started to speak to my wife and I again to make an adjustment in our lives. 
And that adjustment came at a great price. We had to give up everything that we had built and everything that we loved and everything that we valued and return to our home church. And it was a step like nothing I've ever experienced before. And uh, I realized the Lord was taking us on a new leg of our journey. And as we talked to our leadership team one by one, we met a lot of tears and a lot of sadness, but also a lot of hope and a lot of expectation. And as we turned our church over and moved back to Portland to City Bible Church, one of the objectives of that was that we would not only pastor one of the sites, one of the locations of our church, but we would actually take on the, the care and the love and the, 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 the ministry to our church plants. And, and uh, over the last four years, we've gone through quite a journey uh, in our own church. Our pastor, our lead pastor, Frank Tomasio, contracted cancer. We had no idea that that would happen. And the church went into a season of pause and wonder, and everything that I kind of went there to do went on pause. How many know sometimes the journey doesn't look like what you thought it would look like? I would say our church planning journey didn't look like what I thought it would look like. I would say the last four and a half years haven't looked like what I thought it would look like. But this I know. God is always for me. God is always in the midst of the journey. And if we'll understand how to live the journey and pace the journey and learn to find God in the midst of the journey, our soul will know very well that God cares for us and God loves us and He never leaves us and He never forsakes us. We have this thing in common and I, I really felt today that I wanted to come and just impart a heart word to you. Your pastor's a a great teacher and a great feeder. I've respected him since Bible college. We were in Portland Bible College together from 92 to 96. And and uh, we went out and launched our church in 97. And Ben came back east right around that same time. And our journey has been very different, but our hearts have been connected. And I, I really feel like I just want to talk about what it, what it looks like to be on a journey with the Lord. And I want to go, if you will, to Psalms 120. And I want to talk out of a portion of Scripture called the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent. And I want to talk about the journey, not just of your physical life, but I want to talk about the journey of your soul from this portion of Scripture because there was uh, 15 Psalms that were written from chapter 120 to 134. And these particular Psalms all start with with an inscription at the beginning of the chapter And it's a Hebrew inscription that says, Shur Hamal Aloth, and it means songs of ascent. And the word ascent means this. It means the act of rising or moving forward to a higher or more powerful position. That's what the word ascent means. And when the author of the Psalms of Ascent wrote these songs, he he wrote them in a particular order of ascending degree. Each and every one had a particular message, had a particular theme. And they were to be sung by the Israelite people as they journeyed from their homeland into the city of Jerusalem for three particular feasts that happen every year. One of those feasts was the Feast of Passover. Another one was the Feast of Pentecost. And another one was the Feast of Tabernacles. And Every time they would move towards Jerusalem, they would come even physically from a low place to a high place because the city of Jerusalem is actually in the mountains. And as they sang these natural songs, they would progress or ascend from naturally low places 
to naturally high places. And they would sing these natural songs, 15 of them, as they journeyed from home into the city to celebrate. Now, there's something about a song that's kind of um, strategic if we'll stop and really understand it. Why do we worship? Why do we sing? Because singing actually brings together our mind, our soul, and our, our body, it, even in our, our spirit. It, it connects when we really connect in worship to the Lord. We're singing spiritual songs to the Lord. Our physical body is doing the act of singing. And it stirs our soul, which is your personality. It's your mind. It's the inner person. And there's something about the stirring of the whole being through singing songs to the Lord and moving through a natural progression of coming from a low place to a high place that did something in the people of God every year as they went to these feasts. So I want you to capture this picture with me. As they're singing these songs, they begin in chapter 120. Now, I'm not going to put chapter 120 on the screen. I just want you to look at it in your Bible if you have it. If you don't have your Bible... I'm just going to read a few verses and kind of make some comments, and then I really want to focus the the last few moments together on chapter 121. But this is what the Bible says in Psalms 120, uh, and, and this is the beginning of the songs. I want you to get this snapshot with me of a family getting ready to go to Passover, and they come to their front door, and as their dad leads them out of their home towards Jerusalem, he says, let's begin to sing together. And they sing this, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech and that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace, for I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a depressing song. (laughs) I'm going to talk about the journey of my soul. I want to sing about the greatness of God. And he actually kind of kicks it into gear a little bit. In my distress, I called the Lord. He answered me, deliver me, O God, from lying lips. I'm thinking, man, that's kind of a mixed bag right there, those first couple of verses. I called to the Lord. He answered me. Now, Lord, I need you to deliver me from lying lips. Lord, I just don't know. I think I think I would begin to ask the psalmist who wrote the song, why are we starting in such a low place? Can I tell you that many times, many times our journey takes us in a low place? Our journey does take us to a low place. In fact, if we're going to ascend, we first have to recognize we are in a low place. If I'm going to truly go on a journey up, I first have to recognize I am down. I can't receive help unless I recognize that I need help. And the psalmist with prophetic understanding of what the people of God would deal with even after having received their inheritance, their tribal allotment of land. They live in the house that they built with their own hands within a tribal allotment of provision. But even in that provision, they dealt with lying lips 
They dealt with difficulties and pressures. They dealt with crisis and earthly realities. But every year they got to go up. But before going up, they had to start by embracing the reality of their own soul. I'm first at a low place. And yes, I cried to the Lord and He did answer me. That's something I'm going to remember in times past. But let me tell you right now, I'm in need of a fresh answer. I'm in need right now of a declaration from the Lord. So God, I need your deliverance from lying lips. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm in some relationships right now that are not truthful, they're not honest, and my soul is vexed. That's what he's saying. I'm in a place of discouragement and despair. What shall be given to you, he says, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? He's saying, I I don't know how to deal with this situation. This is beyond my comprehension. It's outside the realm of my capacity. I need to go up, but I cannot go up. So Lord, I'm going to begin by embracing where I'm at. I love this reality because it actually is parallel with one of the greatest theologians of all time. And his declaration about life, maybe you would have heard him at some point in history declare this simple truth. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. His name is Forrest Gump. Maybe you've heard of him before. I, 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 there's something about his revelation in life that makes so much sense to me. You open up the box of chocolates. My dad used to buy my mom chocolates. I think he probably still does, but he used to buy her chocolates at Valentine's Day. My mom didn't really like them, but she liked getting them because it's just what you do on Valentine's Day. I love the fact that she didn't really like them, so she'd set them on the counter, and I would go, and, and it was before there was kind of a chocolate map on the back of the boxes, you know? And I would open it up and I got very strategic. I'd take out the chocolate and I would poke it from the bottom. Because I didn't want anybody to know that I was searching for a particular kind of chocolate. I wanted the caramel. But every once in a while, I might hear her coming down the hallway or something. And so I'd reach in and I'd grab it. I wouldn't be able to poke the bottom of it and really check it out. So I'd bite in quickly and I'd get something like orange cream. I mean, those those kind of flavors should never go together. That's when you begin to embrace the reality, I am at a low place. (laughs) Life is like a box of chocolates. You really don't know what you're going to get. Sometimes you bite into a piece of life. Sometimes you encounter something in life that is unpleasant when you taste it. And I love the fact that the psalmist recognizes we do have a desire to go up. We have a vision to go up. But we're on a journey, and the journey always starts where you are. And the only way we can be a people who are on a journey up is to recognize that in my present place, I have tasted something that is unpleasant. Now, this is what the psalmist is actually now leading the people towards. He, If I could just go to the next slide, this is what he's actually leading them towards. He's, he's going to take them up, which is the act of rising. Just go to the next slide if you can, which he's trying really hard to go to the next slide and it is not working do i just need to you know what that's okay i won't even worry about it i 
hey, this, this is what my dream is. I, I, this is what I felt like the Lord put on my heart for you today. It's very similar to what Mariah said just a few minutes ago. I'd like to, I'd like to read that out loud together. Can we do that? It's to go up with God and unlock His refreshing promises upon our soul. You see, as the psalmist went through the first song, he actually defined particular areas of their journey that they would have to walk through. One of them was Meshach. Meshach, if you understand it from history, were the grandsons of Noah. They were pagans. They were warlike barbarians. There were people who lived in certain territories that many of the Israelites would have to walk through. And as their warlike barbarians, they had to declare that I am in the midst of battle. And this is a pressure-filled situation, but I'm on my way through the journey. Can I tell you that there's a great promise that God gives each and every one of us, and that is simply this, that, that you might have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't have to fear evil, but... At the same time, you cannot ignore that you're in the valley of the shadow of death. You've got to be willing, if you're going to go up, to say, I am in Meshach, I am among, amongst warlike barbarians, I am in a difficult space. But not just Meshach, he said, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. The Kedar really stem from the second son of Ishmael. They were nomads, they were Arabic Gentiles who actually were against God. They were desert dwellers, and you never knew where they were going to be. And isn't this just a, a snapshot of how the enemy works in our life? The Bible says the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There are times where we experience enemy attack when we least expect it. To go up, we've got to recognize that there is a battle, and sometimes the battle affects us at unique and strategic moments when we weren't really expecting it. Nonetheless, we're on a journey up. And this is the great hope of every single believer that's here this morning. By the way, can I encourage you today? It's been my hope. And even over the last four and a half years, what I've realized is some unique things have almost sideswiped me. Some unique moments have come. And as I've said, Lord, I don't understand the battle, but I do know that I'm heading towards Jerusalem We're going to come to a second verse of the song pretty soon. We're going to come to a a little higher level, and I'm going to have a little bit better view of what I just experienced behind me. Because I will get through Meshach, and I will get through Kedar. Now look at Psalms 121. And I'm going to actually put uh, Psalms 121 on the screen so you can follow along with me, because I just want to pull three quick points out, and then I'm going to pray for you this morning. Psalms 121 says this, it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Go on to the next slide. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. One more slide. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The psalmist began by singing a song, I need help from lying lips. I'm moving through Meshech. I'm moving through Kedar. But Lord, you've delivered me in times past. That was the declaration of the psalmist in the beginning. 
But as they moved through Meshek and Kedar, they started to maybe begin to see the hills of Jerusalem off in the distance. The elevation got just a little bit higher because they had come through that initial struggle and sideswipe. Their soul was being brought along with their physical body because they were singing to the Lord, the one who could take them from a low place to a high place. And with every song of ascent, not only did their body come to a higher level, but their soul journeyed to a higher level. And the psalm began to remedy the despair and the discouragement that came when they were in the low place. The song began to lift the soul with their body. I don't know about you, but there are sometimes I journey through my daily calendar, but my soul stays in a low place. And this is what I felt the Lord speak to me, is He doesn't want to just bring the people up physically. He doesn't just want to add to you numerically. The Lord just doesn't want to increase your vision for physical things. The Lord wants to bring your soul to a higher place. The Lord wants to lift your mind to a higher level of thinking. The Lord wants you to acknowledge Him in all your ways so that He would direct your path and to realize that you have a great hope in God and your path is an upward trend. There's something that the Lord has for you today, but you've got to start by recognizing first you're in a needy place. The psalmist says this in Psalms 121. He, he poses the question first, where does your help come from? And I'd like to pose that question to you. Where does your help come from? When you're in a low place, where does your soul begin to be lifted? Where does your soul help come from? Where, where does your life help come from? The beginning of this song is actually a simple acknowledgement that people look to a variety of sources for their help, first of all. And it's a declaration of the writer's source of help. See, every one of us is needy, whether we want to admit it or not. We're, we're a needy people. But if you're going to get help, you first got to acknowledge you're in need. And here the psalmist says, let me tell you that I have found a source of help. And everybody needs to acknowledge their need for help and then recognize that we are all looking for a source of help. You see, what most of us don't realize is that our soul is actually crying out for help. And we're looking every day. Some find it in, in, in financial mismanagement, some in excess of finance, some in striving to present themselves a particular way. There's a variety of ways that we're looking for help from our soul. And here the the psalmist actually says, I I need you to understand, I personally have found that I need to lift my eyes. When I'm in a low place, the low place is not going to be the source of my help. I so appreciate my brother who stood up here today and said he found freedom from alcoholism. What, what, what we tend to get trapped in in our culture is the very thing that's pulled us down into the low place is the very thing we try to fix our eyes on to get us out of the low place. And we will never find help in the low place. We've got to begin to lift our eyes. Realize I am looking for help and I'm in a place where there will be no help 
So I've got to shift my focus. I've got to align my perspective. And if I could put into modern day vernacular, what I think the psalmist is saying is he's saying, I don't know where you get your help from. Because you're getting something from somewhere. (laughs) But I have found my help in the Lord. Now, why in the world? Got to stop and, and think back culturally and historically here for just a moment. The author penned these words and he said, I want the nation to sing these songs three times a year. <laughs> because you and I need a reminder over and over and over again. Why? Because we like sheep have gone astray. It is the tendency of our soul to stray. It is the tendency of our soul to be formed by the pressures of culture. It is the tendency of our soul to be weighed down with the natural realities that are around us. The longer we live in Meshach, the harder it is to see the hills of Jerusalem. The longer we live under pressure in the marketplace, the harder it is to see the God of the marketplace. The longer we live under pressures of culture, the harder it is to see the God who wants to create a new kingdom culture. There's something about this principle that we need to begin to work in our spirit and make it more of a lifestyle and a journey that we go on consistently as believers so that we stay in a place of looking to the right source for help. Here the psalmist says, I lifted my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? The psalmist here is David, and David lifted his eyes to the hills. Mountains and hills are mentioned 500 times throughout the Scriptures, and they they always represented two things. One of which was obstacles. Mountains as obstacles. And the second one were a special place of spiritual encounter. Sometimes with pagan gods, but ultimately with the one who established himself on mountains above all the other mountains. It was a place of encounter with Almighty God. David said, I'm going to look to the mountains because that is the place of my help. Now, you've got to not only understand that David was declaring the mountain that was above every other mountain as in God Himself. But as the people of God would sing these songs, they were journeying from a low place into Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was in the mountains. And as they began to look up towards Jerusalem, they would sing this song, where does my help come from? I've been, I've been living in a low place, but man, I, I gotta get up out of the valley, the place of marauders and thieves and criminals and, and warlike barbarians, and I've got to begin to look to the mountains, the place where God dwells, the place of God's habitation. And as David and the people of God would actually go on a journey towards Jerusalem, they would walk up a particular path called the Valley of the Tyropean. And as they moved towards Jerusalem, they would see two particular mountains. One was Zion, and the other one was Mount Moriah. This is my daughter Mariah. This was Mount Moriah. <laughs> Two of these mountains with biblical names and references actually declare something quite profound. 
Zion was the place where the city of God, Jerusalem, was built. It was a city of walls. It was a city where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was a city where King David had his throne. It was a city where the people of God recognized God is in Zion. It's a place of beauty. It's the place where God dwells. It's a place of safety. It's a place of security. And when I go there, I'm going to encounter God. It's a seat of God's government. It's a seat of God's rulership. It's a seat of God's authority. And what the people were declaring was, I'm going to look to the source of all authority, all privilege, all kingdom power, and I'm going to go and I'm going to find new safety and security, and I'm going to find it in the presence of God. So as they looked to Zion, they would declare that, but then they would look over to Mount Moriah. What does Mount Moriah represent to the Israelite people as they move towards Jerusalem? Mount Moriah was the place that Abram took his son to sacrifice him in obedience to God. But it was also the place where the angel of the Lord interrupted Abram and stopped him from slaying his own son. And there was a ram found in the thicket in replacement for Abram's sacrifice. They would look at Zion and they would say, I'm going to the place of the one who has all authority. And I'm going to the place where the Lord will provide. And in that place where the Lord has all authority and the place where the Lord will provide, I will come through the valley of the shadow of death and I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff will comfort me. You're going to watch over me. You're going to guard me. You're going to keep me. You're going to preserve me. And they would declare it not because of how they felt, but because of the reality that was in front of them. You've got to understand this journey took them up naturally, but took them literally to a place that cried out, God is in charge and He will provide everything that you need. Now how many knows when your soul's in a low place, you wonder who's really in charge here? I'm feeling sideswiped, I'm feeling attacked. God, are you really here? But to go up, you've got to remember, yes, He is here. He's still alive. He's still on His throne. And He's still providing for me from His holy habitation. The Lord is sending provision my direction. The Lord is sending His angel to me. The Lord will keep me from all harm. The Lord will preserve me. And this began to be the song of their soul as they remembered what God had done in His past. And David said to them, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? He said, my help comes from the Lord. The Lord who's in charge and the Lord who provides. I want you to say this with me. The Lord who's in charge. The Lord who's in charge and say the Lord who provides. The Lord who provides. How many need that prayer over their life today? You need that kind of a prayer. You need that kind of a lifting of your soul. Would you just lift your hands? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. God, that you would minister right now, God, to your servants. Minister to your people. God, minister to them right where they're at. God, lift their soul. God, as they come through Meshach and Kedar, as they come and begin to look up to the mountain, Father, let that promise settle into their soul right now in the name of Jesus. And Father, I thank you that your provision has come in times past. But God, it's going to come again, even right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's three statements David makes in the rest of this song, and this is where I'm going to land. 
And these three statements are things I believe you're going to walk out of here with today. And your soul is going to come to a higher place. These three simple statements. The first one is this. God helps me to stand strong. God helps me to stand strong. Just go on to the next slide. God helps me to stand strong. Listen to what he said in verse 3. He says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. There is a keeping power in the presence of God to keep you from Meshech, to keep you from Kedar, to bring you up into Jerusalem, to bring you up into Mount Moriah, to bring you into the city of God. There is a keeping power that the Lord even today is putting out over your life. He's actually lifting you up. He's keeping you from stumbling. This is something that David actually began to ask the people to sing. You see, one of the great lies that the enemy begins to burden the people of God with is to get them to believe that God has left them. God is not keeping them. God is not preserving them. But David's actually encouraging the people, he's never going to get tired of helping you along the way. Can I hear an amen? Amen. The second thing he says is that God helps me to stay safe. God helps me to stay safe. The first statement is really about keeping you as you progress. Making sure that you stay on track and don't get sidetracked. The second thing is really about His protection in the midst of a trial. It's really about His protection in the midst of a trial. Verse 5 and 6 says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. When they traveled from one city to another, there was great potential during the day. That somebody would experience sunstroke. That somebody would experience something that would take them out of the game and cause them to no longer be able to journey. I talked to my mom last night. My mom's in the hospital and she was put in earlier this week. And I was talking to her last night. She said, Daryl, I just want to tell you I love you and I just want you to keep serving God. And I said, Mom, what are you saying? And she said, well, I just, I just don't feel good. I said, Mom... This, is, this doesn't make any sense. You don't need to be talking like this right now. This problem isn't that big. And when I hung up, I called my brother-in-law. I said, what's really going on? And he said, it's not that big of a deal. But I realize there's, this, there's a fear of death that's kind of come over her as she's in the hospital. And I'm telling you, people, when your soul gets taken down to a low place because of a natural season that you're in, what we need to remember in those moments is that the Lord is your keeper. God helps you to stay safe. You're not alone in that hospital bed. You're not alone in a season of transition. You are not alone in loss of a loved one. You are not alone in seasons of financial pressure. To think that you're on the path by yourself and that you're the one responsible to get you from one location to the other is a mistake. It is a false belief. The reality is God is with you in the process. He's a faithful father. He's never leaving his child's side. 
And there's something that we've got to begin to get into our spirit. And when you don't believe it, trust the words of the psalmist. That's why, by the way, can I tell you, that's why worship is so important. That's why Paul said, come into the assembly and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's why the author of Hebrews says, don't forsake the gathering together of believers because we're in Meshach and we are in Kedar. And we are in a low place. When you're outside the walls of this place, the pressures of life are upon you. But when you come into the house of God and you begin to sing a new song to the Lord, your soul begins to lift in this place. That's why the house of God is so critical for believers. Because we remember, God is in charge. And He will never leave me. And He will never forsake me. And when I'm in a moment of greatest surrender and I feel like my enemies are against me, the Lord will send an angel to stop me. And He'll provide for me in a moment of crisis. This is what I have come to believe is that transitions and the journey is part of life. It's not something that's thrust upon us because we've done something wrong. It is part of humanity. And if the journey into low places is part of humanity, then I need how to, I need to learn how to lift my soul in the journey of humanity. So the last thing that I'll say to you today is that God helps me to stay secure. Because He doesn't, doesn't just lift me and He doesn't just protect me. He actually preserves my life. And I can stay in a place of security because He keeps me in that place. Verse 7 and 8 says, The Lord will keep me from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Coming in and going out is a principle all throughout the Scriptures. I don't have time to unpack it, but it's simply this. In my day-to-day activities, the Lord will be present when the enemy strategizes to pull me down, the Lord will intervene Amen. in strategic moments. To go out represents the day-to-day cultural normalcy of life. The moving out into the place of the wild. When you get up in the morning and you go to work, the Lord is with you. And that ground that you took, that step that you took, you don't have to give it up. You don't have to give it up just because the pressures of life weigh in. You actually can keep the ground that you've gained. I want to pray for you today. And uh, I'll hand this mic back to Ben. If you just would agree together with me that perhaps you've been in a low place or you've been on a journey And even as I prayed a minute ago, you need the Lord to help you. Would you just agree with me right now? Would you just agree with me right now? Lord, I thank you today for your goodness and your favor. God, I thank you that your keeping power, Lord, is greater than any potential attack, any cultural pressure, any attempt of the enemy to try to take me down, to disrupt my progress, to take me into a place of despair, 
Even as our sister prayed this morning, you are Emmanuel, you are God with us, you never leave us, you never forsake us. And God, even here today, you're taking us to a higher place. God, I thank you that not only are you taking us up physically, God, you're taking us up spiritually and emotionally and mentally. And Lord, I pray today, even as there's a lifting of this place, Lord, take them, take them up high. High in you where they can see the mountains, they can see the provision, they can see the blessing. And they can live in a secure place in you. God, I thank you today. Every person who turns their soul to you, turns their mind to you, is going to find new victory, new hope, and a new expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ben.